0: Moses ran right by me, ran right to the kitchen, immediately started eating. He grabbed a fistful of mashed potatoes and threw it in his mouth. He had a chicken wing in one hand, and my mama looked at him, and she yelled out, Boy!
1: There and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I will tackle one question or one topic and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is Ray Christian. Ray lives in the great state of North Carolina, and he's got a 12-minute story. Stick around after Ray is finished when Kurt and I talk about personal connection in storytelling. And when Kurt and I are done, Ray's got the final word. Thanks so much for listening. We both really appreciate it. Let's dive in.
0: When I was growing up as a kid, food was love in our house. Despite the fact that we were extremely poor, we were more fortunate than a lot of the families in the neighborhood. Even though we didn't have a lot of food and or maybe even the food we wanted, my mama made sure that we had enough to eat. Unlike the family that lived next door to us, like the Davises, a family with a mom and a daddy and four kids during the days, the daddy did labor work like a lot of men in the neighborhood did. And the moment she didn't work, she stayed home. And whenever she didn't have any food for the kids to eat or she didn't feel like cooking, which was almost all the time. She would just turn the kids loose in the neighborhood to go to somebody's house, maybe bag for something or find something or get some food from any way they could from other people. And she did this. Probably just about every day. One of the kids in the family that I became friends with early on was a boy about my age. His name was Moses. And I remember the first time me and him really, really came in some close contact. He had waited me out and he was outside the house waiting with me. And my mama yelled out, it's time to eat. And as soon as my mama opened that door, Moses ran right by me ran right to the kitchen, immediately started eating. He grabbed a fistful of mashed potatoes and threw it in his mouth. He had a chicken wing in one hand and my mama looked at him and she yelled out, boy! And Moses stared at my mama looking like a chipmunk holding that chicken wing and I stared at him and I stared at my mama and my mama took a deep breath and she said, boy! Wash your hands first. Now, my mama used to tell me not to never eat at the Davis's house. And she never didn't have to worry about that because they never really had no food at the house. I know one thing. That back then in the day, in a ghetto, in a black community, you could have a grocery store that would have human food and pet food in the same place in the store. I mean, like, you could have maybe star-kissed tuna for 50 cents a can, beside cat tuna, 20 cans for a dollar. Now, the Davises had hundreds and hundreds of empty cans of cat tuna in their backyard, but we know they didn't own any cats. The only thing I ever remember seeing them cooking over in their house is something that we used to call tangy meat. A tangy meat is like... um, I think it's like a word or something from the depression era. But what you do is you get any kind of cast off meat, rotted meat, decomposing meat. Meat could even have maggots on it and it'd be nasty and slimy. Sometimes they would get it out of the dumpsters from the, uh, behind the uh, grocery store and they would take this nasty meat. And they would boil it and I was supposed to clean it somehow and they would boil it and add more meat and boil it and eat it and boil it and eat it and boil it and eat it. And they would continue to do that until it was gone. And I can remember being over their house during the summer months and they had a pot of that tangy meat on the stove. And I can remember that pot was bubbling and gurgling and giving off a terrible gas all by itself. And it didn't even have no heat on it. Now, back then, most of the families, they ain't know nothing about no uh, food pyramid. All they knew about was full belly eating as far as nutrition was concerned. And probably the biggest thing that happened to a lot of the community is when the government started giving out them free blocks of cheese. And I mean, for a lot of families, that probably was the most nutritious thing that they were going to eat that week. And I can remember my boy Moses used to tell me, uh, "I like my my cheese sandwiches with no bread, uh, no bread, man. That's just that's just damn cheese." But probably more important than anything was that free lunch program. Now you're talking about some balance meals like we had never had before. And the government made it real easy to get them too, because all you had to do was fill out this one-page piece of paper. A lot of the teachers, they were filling out these forms for the kids. All they had to do was be turned in, you know, just have a family. They had to wear a thaw to do that. But, you know, for, for some reason, the Davises didn't do it. And my man Moses, at that point, started becoming involved in a kind of unique kind of crime to our community. It was called snatching. And in its simplest terms... You would have hundreds and hundreds of kids going to school. This was going to elementary school. And they would all most of us would have our lunch bags. Once in a while some kids would have lunch boxes, bunch of little kids heading to school all at the same time. And bigger kids or stronger kids and faster kids alone or maybe in a group would just run up behind a kid and grab their lunch. Maybe two or three lunches. And I mean for a lot of kids, that was that was all their meals. And when I was in elementary school, I can hardly remember one single day that we had schools that I didn't see a kid get their bags snatched. So typically what started to happen, what always happens was kids would go to school in groups, bigger kids would walk with kids to school, parents might walk with kids to school, but still... People's bags got snatched. And that's what Moses would do to get his breakfast or his day's meal. At some point, though, he kind of upgraded and he just started beating kids up for their free lunch coupons. I can remember one time we were almost in middle school and I let my boy Moses talk me into stealing a peach from the grocery store. And as soon as we ran out of that grocery store, Moses immediately started eating this peach. We took about five steps and he stopped dead in his tracks and his eyeballs got big and he started waving his arms around, but he wasn't saying anything and he fell on the ground and as soon as his chest hit that concrete, a big old chunk of peach flew out of his mouth and hit the ground and Moses started breathing hard and heaving. And he looked at that chunk of peach, all drippy and slimy with body fluids. And he picked it up and tossed it back in his mouth. And we kept on running. One time we was walking by this uh, house and it had uh, broken windowpane. And inside that window pane, because back then people would have these uh, tomatoes they would put in the windowpane for them to ripen. And Moses saw them tomatoes. And he reached in that window as fast as he could and snatched out that tomato. But at the same time that he did that, that broken glass just cleaved all the skin off his arm. From his forearm all the way down to his wrist. You couldn't see nothing but the white meat. And then all of a sudden that white meat, it started filling up with like hundreds of little red spots. And all of that filled the whole air and it started to drip. And all of this happened really quickly and almost instantaneously. I tried to reach out to grab his arm to let him know, hey, man, your arm. But before I could do that, he snatched his arm back and he said, "Uh uh-uh. Man, I'm not going to give you none of my tomato. Now, by the time we had gotten to almost a high school, I mean, beating people up for their lunch in that way had became kind of passe. So he would kind of change his technique a little bit. He would kind of like muscle kids around in the cafeteria, slap them upside the head, tell bigger kids that they were fat. "Uh, You don't need to be eating that fat boy. Give me that cake. Man, what you doing with that? You don't want that. Grab their food, eating it. Just messing with kids in the cafeteria. And I remember one time he was pushing this guy around. And taking a bite out of his sandwich. And I was on the other side of the cafeteria. And our eyes locked. And he knew. That I knew. Exactly why he was doing that. One day we were outside near the uh, bus stop. And a boy was out there uh, about to eat a sandwich. And Moses ran up to him and said, give me that sandwich. And that boy looked at Moses and he said, okay, okay, you can have the sandwich. If you need the sandwich that bad, if you're that hungry, if you're that desperate, please take it. Take it, take it. Eat it if you want it. It's yours. Moses looked around, looked at the guy, looked at me, and then he punched him in his face and ran off with his sandwich. I couldn't have known that our relationship would be coming to an end soon. When one day Moses came to school late, too late to acquire his morning breakfast. And at the same time, this new teacher, new young teacher, a white teacher, was also coming to school late, arm full of books, purse and her lunch as she ran into Moses. Moses instantly attacked her, pushed her down, grabbed her lunch and he ran off. It didn't take long for people in the community to be absolutely outraged. Moses was quickly caught And he was charged with assault, robbery, and attempted rape, which was pretty much a default crime that you had to add any time there was some kind of crime where it involved a black guy and he had some physical contact with a white woman. And people all over the community started to say, What kind of animal could do such a thing? Well, I knew what kind a hungry one. Because food is love. And hunger can turn you into an animal.
1: Our feature storyteller, Ray Christian. Thank you, Ray. Next up, Kurt and I talk personal connection. Stick around after Kurt and I finish up when Ray has the final word. Let's dive in.
2: He's telling the story really from kind of a distance, even though Ray reappears and we can get to that in a moment. Like he just makes appearances in the story and important ones. Mm hmm. But the stories, Sean, that you and I and others geek out on, it's got this setup, and I like the setup. It's always about the main character. Mm-hmm. Going through an experience and reacting to the things that happen. If there's something going on that doesn't impact the main character, you get rid of it. It's all about that that one person. Mm-hmm. You know, we can go back to why we love that kind of story, but I just thought it was funny that when... Well, first of all, is it fair to say, Sean, that Ray is really like one of the people who is on top of the heap in terms of storytellers?
1: Uh, he's the real deal. No question about that. I know he's been doing it a long time. And in our introduction here, I say true stories, personal stories, grit stories. And so one of the things we're talking about here today after hearing this story from Ray is... Is this a personal story? Does it count? Does it qualify? And whether it does or doesn't, we wanted to feature it here. We like this story. And we're kind of thinking aloud and wondering, well, what is it or what are the things about this story that resonate? And for me, even though he takes a slightly different approach to it, and he's not throughout the story, the center, the protagonist, the person that's changing. There's this sort of, um, I don't know what's the word, connection, or thing about it that, despite so many things in my life and Ray's life, we're very different in a lot of ways. I'm listening through the whole thing. I don't know what do you what do you think?
2: There's a lot to say. One thing is, something we touched on in another podcast about why we go to stories. You know, part of it is to be uh, distracted or entertained, but definitely a very uh, meaningful part of it is to have a look into other walks of life that you're not really aware of. And so Ray gives us a story and he almost tells a story in the way that like a old magazine journalist would write a feature about someone who intrigued him or her.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: It's really about this kid, Moses. Right. And so, you know, afterwards, Sean and I are are messaging and and we're wondering, you know, is this really Ray's story? Because that's, that's how you say it in storytelling. Like, is this? does this story belong to you? Mm-hmm. I just hear Ray's voice on this recording. And I swear to God, if you could sw- fill a swimming pool with Ray's voice, I could do like a triple Lindy <laughs> without practice. I mean, the thing, it's just- Got a nice voice. It's, it's beautiful. It's so natural. Yeah. You can tell he's like- I know we go back and forth on this reading thing, but you can tell that this guy's just like sitting out in his backyard, looking at his chickens and ducks. And he does own chickens and ducks. He lives in North Carolina. And he's just like, I'm going to tell this story for these guys. Yeah. And he just does it. And you're just like, damn, I love this. This is good. Yeah. And so when Chad and I are talking, we're saying, is this for us? I, 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 I'm like almost willing it to be for us. Right. 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 I call Ray up and I say, you know, Ray, maybe I wasn't like real clear. Now, for people who don't geek out on stories, and I know that's most of us, Ray really is a super accomplished storyteller. So when I call Ray, it's not in the like role of a storytelling coach. It's more like, hey, Ray, thanks for contributing a story to Grit because I know uh, it's going to be enjoyed by many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time I'm calling him Say Ray, I don't know if this is for us because, uh, you know, we like those stories. The main character is really the main deal. And mm-hmm. this is really about Moses. And he just says, well, I just wanted to send you all uh, an example of the type of story. It's just another kind of story that I tell. I like that attitude. I like, yeah. you know, because there aren't rule makers. There aren't right. gay- and if there's a mantra for this podcast, it is that there are no gatekeepers, right, Sean?
1: Well, there are gatekeepers. I think we're pushing back a little bit on it, maybe. We certainly don't want to be the gatekeepers. And I don't think anyone's thinking we are because uh, we don't have that kind of reach. And I don't want to be a gatekeeper. Right. I want good stories. I think it helps us to have some sort of, I don't know if the word's boundaries or rules for, our, for us, right? True stories, in as much as it can be true, your memory isn't always accurate, sure personal stories, but maybe there's more wiggle room there than we typically think. And you get a story like this from Ray. Ah, Okay. Obviously it's Ray telling the story and it's his memories of his experience with this other kid when they're children and as they're teenagers. Well, look, it is not an easy thing to do to tell a story for 12 minutes and keep it engaging or compelling throughout. Anybody oh. who's tried to put this, a story together, whether it's five or 12 or long, whatever the length is, knows how challenging that can be. Yeah. So check. Accomplished. <laughs> Maybe not everyone who hears it agrees, but for our purposes, we certainly think engaging, relatable, challenging. What does he do? Because one of the reasons why we like the storyteller to be the hero, person who changes, is that it's about you. There's more immediacy. It's not about your stepbrother. It's not about this guy. So my question for you is, is this story about Moses... Or is it also about Ray? Is there overlap there?
2: If you listen to any story on The Moth or Story Collider or other podcasts, Mm -hmm. in stories that we've had on this podcast, what you get is a person like myself telling a story about myself, something I've gone through. It's really a foolproof narrative strategy because by the end of it, if I'm doing my job, I will tell you how this experience has effected a change in me. Right. That's a story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has a central character that's somewhat rounded, hopefully. And by the end, that rounded character is even more seen even more in the round and seen as very human. And if you do that, you stand a good chance of connecting with other people. So that's why we threw our hands up and said, whoa, Ray, this is different.
1: When you hear the story, it sounds like Ray's mostly talking about this guy. Yeah, yeah. Moses, this kid he grew up with, you know Moses turns into a bit of a bad apple or more than a bit of one, and it's it becomes more than just you know this kid taking lunches. I mean, he's in high school and he assaults somebody or at least or is accused of assault, but certainly does some bad shit
2: man, is this is what kills me about this story. So back on that phone conversation with Ray, and I said, Ray, that part where This guy, Moses, just darts into your kitchen. He grabs a piece of chicken. He grabs some mashed potatoes with his bare hands. I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever forget that. Right. He's like, oh, yeah. And I thought my mama was going to whip his ass. Instead, she told him to wash his hands. And then Ray says shortly after, he's like, and you know what? I didn't wind up in prison. really is about Ray. You're right. It's about looking back on someone you knew long ago and saying, holy shit, if not For the grace of God, there go I." It's that feeling of like, you know, we all have them, like those second chances that we get and that sense of like, oh, I got out. I got lucky. Oh, I'm a lucky person. What really grabs me in the story is, Ray and Moses are friends. They're neighbors. There's a little like, hey, don't be eating over at, at Moses' house. And Ray's like, I'm not gonna be eating tangy meat. And uh, don't worry about me ma. i'm not gonna go I'm not gonna be eating over there, but basically, when I listen to the story he's he's watching his friend go hard to the world, like yeah. you know, get hard, mm-hmm. and that's what like it makes the story a little bit heartbreaking for me because even in the point where there's a there's a scene that's especially that gets me, and Ray is there. And Moses is there and there's some kid with his lunch. And Moses is like throwing his weight around. He's like, give me your lunch. And the kid's like, if you want my lunch so bad, you can have. No, no, here it is. If you really want it, here it is. He just totally yields to Moses. And Moses takes lunch and he punches him in the face. Still
1: punches him in the face.
2: Yeah. And that is like critical to me because people who are in pain, people who go hard to the world, I mean, they cannot stand weakness in other people. It makes them, it's repulsive and they want to punch it. They want to destroy it. And that's what I got from that moment. And and you know what? Sean, you and I talk about like connection and storytelling and how it's just like a basic experience, a basic and very great experience in this art. And I, I hear that and I'm like, hey, I know a tiny bit about Ray. I know enough to know that, I don't share a lot of experiences with Ray. Like I did not grow up impoverished in the ghetto. Right. I did not have to uh, fight in Iraq. I did not have to use my gun to kill other people and uh, et cetera, et cetera.
1: We're both white, middle aged college guys who didn't fight and didn't. I don't we know we have our struggles. But right there's a lot of differences certainly on paper and, a lot
2: very very youthful uh, middle age too i, I just want to <laughs>
1: yes um, sir
2: okay so It just reminded me i'm worried about this in storytelling is like you get pushed around a little bit you you start to wonder you know is this a good story to tell like from my experience Is this hard luck story a good? Because there is this voice that just out of the chute negates stories before they ever get to be developed. That's why I think that anybody who's responsible for teaching people to tell better stories, I think the first impulse is always to encourage. Yeah. It made me cringe a little bit inside when the summer I had a student who wanted me to understand that she has no interesting stories to tell because she's a mother of a couple of kids and has a predictable life. And I was like, no, 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 no. You have good stories to tell. And we did get to one. But I hate a society that lets this woman uh, who's completely smart, leads her to believe that because she has to go to the grocery store every third day and pay the electricity bill and wipe the kids' faces and get them to school. And there's a lot of predictability and a lot of routine because kids thrive within structure and she's just being a good person. That, yeah, but she still has good stories to tell. Of course. So I get worried, you know. I, I think as a teacher or coach, I always want people to be right. like, so what? Tell your damn story. There's humanity inside of everything we do.
1: So don't sweat it. 100%. I agree with you. 100%. Even though I don't want to always agree with you, and I don't always agree with you, I agree you with know. you there. That might be one reason why I go hard on my stories often. Not always. I'm, there's a, you know, anybody who knows me and some of my stories – sort of a fuck you, that's why attitude. And it doesn't always work and it doesn't always resonate. But I think I lean a little bit more towards the, all right, so I'm this guy who in so many ways was not marginalized. But I don't want to have to apologize for that. I've got some stuff. I'm part of the human race. Maybe there's some connection here. I bet there is. Mm -hmm. Do I have to apologize for that? I don't think so.
2: And it's good that you're pushing and not playing it safe. Mm. Dude, going by someone else's rules that you absorbed by osmosis because someone said so.
1: How many stories out there, Kurt, have almost been told (laughs) and they didn't have the person to support them? They didn't have the person to say, no, go more. Give me more of that. Hey, let's play with that idea. Explore. I don't care if it makes it in the final version. Let's keep digging. Let's keep going. Don't apologize. Don't filter. Fuck what that person says. Fuck with this. No more. Let's see where we go with that.
2: God, who was it who told me? That? It's just if you got a story. If if you are walking along, and you're thinking about some memory, and it somehow taps into some sort of vein of emotion within you. The shame is that you might get in your car and you might, you know, be thinking about something you read, you watched, or you saw, you listened to, and you might make less of it.
1: Yeah, we it do that, right?
2: Too familiar to you, um, right?
1: It's familiar. And I think a lot of people, including me, we tend to uh, minimize a lot of our experiences and we almost apologize for them. And it's not a big thing and it's not important and dot, that and I understand why we do that, I think. I'm not sure that's serving you in storytelling.
2: I got to paraphrase because of my memory, but there's a poet, Richard Hugo, who said something like poetry is like the art of accepting oneself in foreign territory. So whenever we're in like a social setting, it is kind of a foreign territory where we're like, you know, inside out
1: a little bit. Play it safe, man. Play it yeah. safe.
2: Right. But the fact that you can accept yourself as strange or weird, or exotic or confused or confuddled or whatever it might be, and you put it out there. We love those people who are brave enough to do that. That's the heart of the matter right there. Mm. So if you're in the grocery store because you're, you know, you're getting groceries for the family and stuff and you have some thought that's really like really, really, you know, scratches the record and you get into like some sort of confrontation with somebody. It's not just because you're a little bit crazy or maybe it is, but tell the story. Let's hear how crazy you got because we're all a little bit crazy. Right. Like, let's just get together on that. So, you know, what we're talking about today is how this stuff connects us all. And so while I can't perfectly connect to Ray's story, that's not my experience. But what it does cause me to think about is the kids that I knew growing up who I watched change in a bad way where they get a little hard because the night before mom and dad sat them down and said, you know what? We're just, we just don't love each other anymore. Like I I saw that happen a couple of times where the kid comes to school and my best friend, Johnny tells me, my parents gave me that talk last night. And I swear to you, the kid was just changed. It's like he was unable to like pick up on for a while to pick up on like anything that was happy like age 13, he just kind of, and I, and, and I was just thought about that. And I know he, he picked up out of that eventually, but it just made me think like, damn, like I never had to eat tangy meat and I never, never had to steal a tomato from a broken window. And like, actually, I'm quite a lucky guy, even though my parents did that, they did it when I was like two years old and I was unaware yeah. And my dad sucked and he split and my mother was like on food stamps and, and we're my brother, my mother and I were like in line at the food pantry and there was the taste of powdered milk, which is what they gave you in the 70s and it tasted like shit. And so for many years afterwards, my mother's like, drink some milk, it's good for your bones. I'm like, I'm not drinking that stuff. And, and even though we're, like, we're much better off because my mother had re- remarried, I'm like, I'm not drinking milk, it tastes like shit. And she's like, so she was like trying to be clever in ways of getting me to, to get some calcium, like making me put in and stuff like that. What I'm realizing is my brother remembered all of it.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, older brother. Yeah,
2: and so listening to Ray's story It makes me realize why my brother was much more closed off and like guarded and self-protective because he went hard. Like one of those kids I knew in grade school, that was my brother. I just never knew because he got the hard news. And so he stopped trusting people as much as he had before. He got his innocence shattered at like age seven. I know that happens to a lot of us.
1: Yeah. I think about a few things. Uh, No one in particular... And I know for our purposes and for storytelling specificity is often huge. I'm just thinking about the people who were jerks or bullies. <laughs> and I know that we live in a culture that often is so unforgiving, but I don't care. You wonder, right, man, what was going on? Right. Probably weren't born that way. I don't want to get into nature, nurture shit. I don't want to probably some bad shits going on. And they beat the kid up. I got beat up a couple of times and it's like, You know, at the time, you just want to kill the guy. Dude, Now you're like, huh, well, maybe, maybe he got the shit kicked out of him last night. Or maybe he was eating cat food. We talk about personal story. Here's a question for you. Isn't he giving us a personal story by telling us all the things that Moses was going through, right? And setting it up early about his mom and food. Isn't he telling us about all the things he has by telling us what Moses doesn't have. Isn't he essentially making it a personal story because it's clear he went through this and I didn't have to, and thereby.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was just dwelling on this. The one thing that I know you love because you mentioned it before we started recording it is when Ray's eyes lock with Moses' eyes across the lunchroom when uh, Moses is bullying yet another kid and, uh, and Ray says to us, he says, and and that's when he knew that I knew exactly why he was doing that. So a minute ago, when we're wondering like, what happened, why were those guys bullies that we knew? Did they get beaten up the night before? Did they have to eat cat food? Ray's story. It's about Ray, but it, it, so I agree we get, we can infer that. Yeah. Ray gets loved. Ray gets dinner. You know, his parents are scraping by, but they find a way Mm -hmm. Moses's parents don't find a way. They say you're on your own. That turns you into a harder person. But Ray's also telling us, I know why this bully was a bully. I watched, I watched it all. Mm -hmm. I watched it all. So to get back to your point, is this a story about Ray? It, yeah, he's saying, you know, food is love. Like, I was loved. I have a feeling like Ray wasn't the type of, type of kid who was ever a pushover.
1: Probably not.
2: Yeah, I think he's from the school of hard knocks. And that he's just picking out the maybe the hardest kid in the school that he happened to be friends with might say something, too. But Ray's also really smart. So he's like, yeah, I can tell the difference. I was loved. That's why I didn't wind up in prison. Mm. you know what hunger will turn you into a freaking animal if that's the way you're seeing the world like i gotta take my mom dad said i gotta take i gotta beg i gotta plead whatever it is to eat dinner to get a full stomach forget the food i mean
1: just and food is as basic as it gets without it you die
2: yeah period yeah and then i mean there's also something conveyed there or there's something about someone who makes you a meal Mm -hmm. you know it's not just this utilitarian, here you go, pal. But there's something very loving in in any kind of food prep. Someone takes a second to hand you something or a cup of coffee for a friend, you know.
1: Definitely. Let's swing it back to connection. You can argue that is the number one goal in some way to make a connection, to connect with your audience, right? In the way... I think it's an ongoing, huh, how do you do that? Or why does this story connect with me? Or why did that story connect with so many people? And you can reverse engineer it and come up with all sorts of stuff. And you can, there's also an element of it's mystical and magical and artistic, and you don't always get to find the words for it. And that's just what art does
2: you hear a lot that gets explained about our diets and the way we live and think through like evolutionary thinking, right? Theory or psychology. And uh, with storytelling, you think about, and I brought this up before, that person back as hunter gatherers, that person who remembers, right? It's also, it's really important to stories are basically, that's storytellers are rememberers writers and storytellers. They remember things, yeah. And so Ray is remembering something from his childhood. He saw something and he wanted to share it. And so um, anybody out there who just heard Ray's story might have or probably has some kind of memory of a child from his or her past that they're suddenly thinking about, some other object lesson. And, and so it just gets uh, passed forward, you know this sort of reflection in my own case, I, I start to think about my own family and it kind of deepens my understanding of a key member of my family. And I appreciate that it's damn, if that's what comes out of some experience, some interaction with art, whatever it might be, then I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, if not the ultimate, it's up there. So I I feel completely connected to Ray's story, even though our backgrounds are completely, Mm. completely different.
1: That's a, that's a compliment. A real compliment.
2: He doesn't do anything in the story to sort of push you away. There's not one note of um, that I really get. I get a lot of realism. I get a lot that there is that there may be uh, just to to be believed about the way that he renders yeah. this world that he grew up in. But I don't get any worry or concern or uh, I guess what you would call like um, I don't know self pity. There's no like no. He's just kind of this is what's up. Yeah, I was loved too. And you hear that. So it's someone who's fully actualized, someone who just understands the great gift he got, and parents who are like, no matter what, this isn't easy, but we're going to put some real food on the table. And the difference it makes for Ray. It's pretty awesome to hear somebody talk about their background like that, especially none of our backgrounds are perfect, you know, but you can go back and understand. In one time, not that long ago, someone told me, the real responsibility of a parent is to make sure that you're still alive. Hmm. <laughs> and so when I started to look at it through that lens, I was like, oh, okay. My childhood, like anybody else's, it wasn't perfect. But if I look at it through that lens, then I can let go of some of the negativity. And when I let go of some of the negativity, it, it ceases to have any power over me. Hmm. I'm not always going to be that way because I'm human. I'm going to fluctuate. I'm going to vacillate and go back to things. But yeah, I can go back to that saying, you know, your parents' chief concern, their duty was to keep you alive.
1: Yeah. It makes you think like, son, so, sorry, I wasn't there for you in a way that you needed me, but I was busy putting food on the table. So that, that has to take, I, made, I wanted to make sure that you had a roof over your head, that you had food, hopefully decent food, and the basics were covered. And I struggled to do that. And in doing that, I wasn't necessarily always warm or always loving in the way that you wanted or always whatever. You're right. You go back and you look at that and you're like, maybe, maybe there's, there's a little more, bigger space in your heart for forgiveness or understanding or something else. Yeah. It, it does make you think. I don't know. Maybe people who hear the story don't think about it like we do because we are being so intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about the story. But for me, it did do that.
2: One thing to make clear is the only reason we do this, we share an enthusiasm for this stuff and we're trying to share it with other people.
1: Right. But Kurt, we're not doing it, I don't think, because we want to help people write better stories so that they can be featured somewhere. We want to help people write better stories because it's a way to connect with other human beings on both sides. I'm the storyteller and I'm creating this opportunity for connection for both me and those who hear it. And for me, that's where it ends.
0: Do consider and contemplate how those stories might connect with others. Now, I've learned over a long period of time that most of my stories are completely unrelatable in the very specific and the more nuanced parts. So I try to provide information more generally. I try to provide some historical context to give a better understanding In many ways, I'm teaching without sounding like I'm teaching through my own lived experience.